Some people just are doomed to repeat their mistakes. It doesn't matter how much experience they gain, they just continue to make those mistakes. People have main character syndrome, so they really only see the world through the lens of them as the main mm. character. The faster you can learn how to manage those people, the quicker your path to success. I never think I have somebody figured out. There's always that element of surprise. Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Show, where our goal is to uncover the truth about business and introduce you to the people, tools, and the strategies to make your mind, life, and money bulletproof. In this episode, I sat down with Amber Morningstar. Amber is the CEO of AvengerAdmins.com, a company that can provide you with a pre-trained and highly reliable virtual assistant in under five days. She's also our Director of Operations at Bulletproof Entrepreneur and has personally built and led over 20 multi-million dollar teams for other successful business owners, including Brandon Carter and Tanner Chittister. In this episode, we discuss everything Amber has learned from conducting thousands of interviews and how to manage even the most difficult people so you can achieve success in your business faster than you ever thought possible. If at any point as you're watching, if this seems helpful to you, just tap that like button. It'll help the YouTube algorithm show this video to more people. That said, let's dive in. What do you feel as though the most significant factors have been to you, like getting to a place to where, where you are today? Um, I would definitely say my experience in retail has helped me a lot with people management, not only from understanding the customer perspective, because every customer that walks through the door is from a different walk of life and knowing how to relate to them is going to help you sell more stuff in the store. Um, but also in managing people, being a store manager and having, again, different people from different walks of life coming in and being a part of your team and knowing how to effectively lead and manage them is ultimately your key to success because in any business, even as an entrepreneur, your success is very closely tied to your team. You can't do it all alone. So the faster you can learn how to manage those people, you know, the quicker your path to success. Yeah. So you went to talk to me about how you got like you got your start in retail, right? Was that at, you went to college, right? University in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. We call Canadian. It, yeah, we call it university. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Went to university in Canada. Yes. Did you graduated? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I nice. took psychology. Oh, okay. Yeah, not what you can it. do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, were you? Well, why did you take psychology? I was just interested in how the mind works mm. and how people think. Mm. And the classes were just always the most interesting to me. I actually started with a major in biology because I wanted to get into pharmacology. So biology mm. and chemistry, um, which I ended up deciding, hey, you know, that's not for me. But what I really enjoyed was understanding the mind and how people think. So mm. I switched my major to psychology. What was it that sparked that switch? Um, there was a professor, uh, who looked like Santa Claus, um, but he was just super friendly and he taught really well. And he always had amazing examples to go with all the concepts we were learning. Um, I actually was told I couldn't take any more of his classes because I just like filled my schedule with everything that he was teaching because he was just such a good teacher. Yeah. And that just made me realize that what I was really passionate about was people. And so that is huh. kind of what Did he have elves that worked for him or no? No. He didn't. no. <laughs> oh, that would been that would have been cool. No, but he was awesome. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And so then you went into the psychology route. What uh 
so you graduated what with a psychology degree mm -hmm. okay yeah, bachelor of science and then from there you went into retail at what store so i was actually working retail all through going oh, okay. to university full time and um it was kind of like uh, don't put all my eggs in one basket scenario i was like hey first of all i need to pay rent mm -hmm. um so i need to make money landlords for that. tend to like that exactly so i was like okay i have to pay my bills but at the same time i was enjoying the aspect of retail so if i decided not to continue pursuing a you know career in psychology that for me was always another option that i could pursue which you know obviously i did pursue a job right. in psychology but my very first retail store was garage um, okay if you, i don't even think we have that i don't know that that's yeah. a i've never heard of it <laughs> yeah it's a women's clothing store okay yeah that explains probably a big part of why i've never heard exactly of it. but uh, that was my very first store and then i went on to work for um aldo mm. um guess i also worked at echo if okay. you remember echo not the shoe the store sh oh no that's the other okay <laughs> the only shoes that i yeah that's the only echo i know okay yeah the, they were a clothing brand mm -hmm. um but yeah i worked for them as well too and um guess was my last place uh, mm. in the retail world now were you like entrepreneurial at all at this point in your life were you like aware that there was a thing like starting my own business to do that yeah probably not in the best of ways but yeah I was what do you mean oh got it <laughs> <laughs> read into that however you'd like yes <laughs> yeah okay got it got it so you worked retail for how long then um so it would have been from my first year of university all the way until about 2015 okay yeah. and you graduated when uh 2013 i started 2008 so okay so for two years full-time you were straight up retail doing Only. doing what i was store manager okay yeah got right out of the gate no no no. so when i started um university i went in as just a, an associate okay. at garage and then over time i got promoted to key holder at certain stores and then finally to assistant manager mm. and then lastly i guess i started with them as a key holder and then moved into a management position and got my own store gotcha and then you did that for two years yeah and then so what was it that made you go this isn't for me anymore to be honest, um, when I got my accessory store in Square One, it was the worst performing store in Canada. They really handed me um, a mess of a store. Um, I'm good at cleaning up messes, though. That's kind of what I do. I noticed. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So I took that store. Uh, I literally had, I think, maybe three team members that still worked there, so that I had no staff. Mm. I had to work seven days a week and build my whole team from scratch, which I did very successfully, very quickly, and turned that store into the best performing store in Canada in under eight months. Um, I think that's a pretty awesome feat to achieve. I mean, there's know? worse resumes. Exactly. Yeah. So they were not super happy with my choice of hiring. They felt that I wasn't hiring people that were on brand. Hmm. And my thing was, I don't care if they're on brand. I care if they perform. Mm. Not only that, Square One is a very diverse location in Mississauga. There's a diverse population there. So my strategy in hiring was... When someone comes in, I want to have someone relatable to you. Mm -hmm. So whether you're Japanese or Pakistani or whatever, Spanish, like I want someone who can speak your language, relate to you and understand you as a person. Like the UN. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what my store was. Um, they weren't necessarily super happy with that route, but mm. we, again, were the best performing store in Canada. So for me, it was, you know, I don't understand why I'm getting so much pressure from you to change up the team when this is the winning team. Yeah. 
Um, and I just didn't like that approach. It wasn't said explicitly, but I got the hint. And mm. that was for me, you know, that and always having to work on weekends and holidays. And I said, hey, you know, is this really the type of world that I want to pursue? So I decided to exit that and went into the corporate world, which, you know, was just as full of politics. And so where you went where? Um, TELUS, which is a cell phone company. Oh, okay. And And you were doing what there? Uh, Corporate sales, um, EPP plans, which essentially is um, like employment plans. So if you work, let's say for Netflix and Mm. they say, hey, because you work at Netflix, you get a special deal from T-Mobile as a bonus for being an employee here. I was selling those plans to companies like Netflix. Okay. And so still at this point, nothing, no side hustles or no legal side hustles? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so from, and then this is how, this is 2015, you said? Mm, Yep. Okay, and so how long were you selling cell phone plans? Um, So I was there for just over a year, Mm. because then I met my husband and moved here. Um, But in that time, they started the EPP project. So I actually headed that project. I started with them as just a phone rep. So I took a huge step down, started as a phone rep, then they gave me that project. And then I built that project from nothing that was generating over a million dollars in sales and then grew the team to seven. So wow. it was just me, then it was a team of seven. And then I, I said, hey, I'm getting married and moving to the United States. <laughs> Got you. Why? So you took a huge step down. Yeah. Why? For me, I've always been the type of person where I'm okay with taking that risk if I mm. feel like there's a bigger reward on the back end of that. And I knew that even though I came with a bunch of experience from retail, it's not applicable to the corporate cell phone world. Yes, I have amazing people skills and leadership skills, but I don't understand their world. I didn't know anything about SIM cards and plans mm. and porting phone numbers or anything like that. So for me, it's important to understand things from the ground up because if I can understand what that phone rep is going through it gives me the capability of acting better in the interest of that person and the company as a whole when i'm managing things on the corporate side and managing bigger projects got you so who because a lot of people aren't okay with taking a big risk and aren't okay with taking a step back with in pursuit of the bigger opportunity did was that like always natural to you um i would say so i mean I think it was a big risk and jump for me to move from my small hometown to the mm-hmm. city to go to university and just figure it out. Yeah. You know, were and your parents entrepreneurial at all or no. what was what's their background? Um, my, well, actually, so my birth father, he owns a Taekwondo studio. So I guess, yeah, he's entrepreneurial. Okay. Um, but I don't really speak with him. Uh, my mom was an account manager for a uniform company. Mm. So not necessarily entrepreneurial, but she still had to build her own book of business. So there's still an entrepreneurial aspect to it. She was always very good at sales. Okay. Um, so I think that's you know where I take in some of that experience. Too. Did they try to steer you in any direction or did they let you kind of make your own decisions? I mean, my mom was like, you need to be a doctor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, just the, the standard, like you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, And she was actually really upset when I said I wasn't going to go back to school to get my master's. And Mm. I said I wanted to, you know, see retail through and see if I could make anything and a career in that industry. Um, Yeah, it didn't sit well with her. And it didn't sit well with her when I started my own business either. Yeah. uh, Because she was thinking, you know, oh, that's a huge risk. What if you don't make enough money? How are you going to pay bills? Um, But I think now she's finally uh, come around. Yeah. Yeah, How did you manage that in the beginning, though? Um, so I paid for my own school. Yeah. So my response to my mom was kind of like, you're not paying for it. So you can't 
really make that decision. I appreciate your opinion, but you're not funding it. So I'm not going to just go, well, my mom thinks I should go get my master's. So let's go into more debt. Um, I explained to her, hey, I don't feel like this is the right decision for me because I don't want to do that. And I'm enjoying retail. And if I have to spend 40 hours doing something Mm. every day, every week of my life, I want to do something I truly love. And right now what I love is retail. And if that's not what I end up loving, I can always go back to school. You know, for me, it's, you know, I'm never closing a door forever. I'm just walking through the next one. And if I want to turn back, like I can. So, you know, she wasn't happy about it, but ultimately, you know, she can't really make the decision for me. So So from there you started, what was it your current drop set gorgeous or was it a different, a different variation of that? Or what was your first business? It was uh, online fitness coaching. Okay. Yeah. So came in through that world. Uh, That's, you know, ultimately how I ended up meeting Brennan. Yep. Um, I had seen an ad on YouTube and bought a course because I had at that time 20,000 followers. So I was oh, okay. thinking, okay, you know, maybe I should do something with this. Um, and I was still working at TELUS at the mm-hmm. time. And I said, hey, again, like leap of faith, spent 5,000 on the course. That was the most amount of money I had ever spent on anything other than university. Yeah. And just said, you know, how it turns out and if it's a mistake it's a mistake i'll learn from it yeah you know i don't ever think of anything as a loss it's a learning opportunity so i started an online fitness coaching business that did well um i got to 10k a month in my first month you know um and then i coveted 10k a month i know and i that was crazy for me yeah oh my gosh wow 10k a month this is amazing never thought i would be able to scale to something like this in my own business, let alone in the first month of my own business. So that was a really amazing accomplishment. And that's when I said to tell us like, hey, you know, mm. I'm going to exit. Thank you for everything. But and what were you making to tell us? Um, would have been around 55 to 60 K okay. Canadian. Yeah, but I was living here. Yeah. So that exchange rate Mm. sucked yeah yeah um and they we knew that i wasn't going to stay with them forever because i had moved here it was more of a transitional period because they were you know needed to find someone to replace me mm-hmm. i was moving here with no connections to anyone and needed money to yeah. you know to pay bills so it worked for both of us and then that was sort of our transition out of working with each other got it and then how long did the what was the transition between fitness coaching and operations queen of the world that i mean so the um entrepreneur influencer that i bought the course from um he had put up a posting he was looking for a lead generator and again i've always been the type of person where i'm like why not add more to my plate yeah um so i you know raised my hand for that and said hey can i come in and help you do lead gen and he looked at the numbers i was doing in my own business and said well yeah i mean you're doing great with your own thing let's get you in on my stuff and i was able to generate quite a bit of money for him doing lead generation his COO ended up leaving and because of me being the type of person that I am always offering solutions to problems and trying to help troubleshoot things, he naturally, you know, said, Hey, why don't you try this role? I think partly out of the fact that I, you know, suggested solutions and partly out of, Oh shit, what am I going to do? My COO just left. Um, But I sort of got, you know, moved into that role and then just thrown everything. Mm. And I just had to figure it out. Um, pretty much on my own uh, and just learn as much as I could as quickly as I could to help, you know, scale that business up. And again, did so successfully with him for about a year and decided, okay, so I had the online coaching business. That was awesome. 
operations. I enjoy it more, mm-hmm. but I don't have my own business anymore. And I'm at the mercy of like one person and what they want me to do. And I don't really have any freedom. Yeah. So I, I said, okay, how do I take being amazing at operations and turn that back into my own business? And that's when I started saying, hey, I'm going to separate from you, take on other clients and attempt to build this as an agency, essentially. Yeah. Fascinating. What what did you end up scaling that business to before you decided? Like, where did it start? Where did it so, end when you left? Um, when I started doing lead generation, they were actually doing less and less every month. They were on a downward spiral. Um, by the time I left, they were on pace. Do you wish that you had the limitless pill? Well, this 100K a month thinking system might just be the next best thing. If you're feeling frustrated and stuck in your business, and you just want to operate at the level that you know that you're capable of, I'd like to invite you to click the link in the description and get instant access to my seven-figure mindset secret system where I'm going to walk you through step by step everything that you need to start thinking like a millionaire and begin seeing shifts in your business in 24 hours or less. So go check that out and let's get back to the show. Um, by the time I left, they were on pace to do 2.3 million okay. that year. Nice. So we went from steadily declining to yeah. high up in 2.3. Um, and I was with him, like I said, for just under a year. Yeah. And now you've worked with how many businesses? Mm, I would say over 20. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like under the hood type yeah. work. It, yeah. Like the stuff that we do together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. You're one of the few people that I've met that has been able to actually have some kind of an agency do it for you model that actually like isn't the worst thing in the world <laughs> yeah. um, and actually do a good job. I'm curious, what uh, what do you attribute that to? People. Tell me, you know, um, managing them well, uh, empowering them and doubling down on their skill sets and taking things off their plate that they're not good at. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just because a role, you know, defines that someone should be handling a certain task. If I see that that's like a weak point for them, I'll swap that out and give it to someone who can handle it because I want to play off my team's strengths and, you know, minimize the use of anything that involves their weaknesses. And then also to just having a team culture where they're very invested, that where they want to try hard to help grow not only my business, but the client's businesses as well, too, is very important because just like if you don't believe what you're selling, mm. if you don't believe in the automations you're building or like the purpose of those automations, you're not going to care as much. You're going to get more careless. You're going to make mistakes. So I think yeah. that investment piece is important as well. So was that taught... To you in your psychology degree or where did this come from? Um, Self-discovery and just learning again how people work um, Mm -hmm. and seeing the, you know, what happens when you aren't so great with your team Mm -hmm. and what happens when you are and just kind of looking at great leaders who manage their teams well, what worked for them, and then applying that to not only my team, but my clients' teams as well. Um, And understanding the dynamic is different. The way that we manage your team versus the way I manage my team internally or Brandon's team or Brian Mark's team, it's all different because his personality is different from yours, different from Brandon's, different from mine. And we are going to attract like people. So that culture has to fit sort of our personality archetype. Yeah. So like I, you never had me take a personality test. So I'm curious, like, how are you, uh, 
putting people in buckets or what's your thought process or what's your evaluation process when you're sizing somebody up and deciding where do they go on this chessboard here and how can I best maximize them? It's definitely, it takes time and you have to spend time with someone to get to know what makes them tick essentially, um, how they like to operate and build off of that. So on day one, would I have been able to understand that about, you know, but I think we've worked together long enough now that I've been able to sort of understand your you know personality profile without having you take that test also you know personality tests can vary depending on the mindset you're Mm -hmm. in when you take it the context that you're thinking of the questions um i know the disc uh, personality test you'll get a completely different result if you take that under the context of work versus personal Mm. so i think that they're a good tool but they're not a be-all end-all to discovering you know how a team dynamic is going to function together makes sense so i I wanted to a get some background, but b definitely segue into your. There's very few people that I consult about anything, um, and I mean we've t- talked about this. You've experienced it too. Is just like most most people aren't the greatest at things. Yes, um, and yeah, I've learned that the hard way for years now, and it sounds like that's about yep. how you learned as well. Um, what if you had to sum it up? What's the number one lesson that you've learned about people in this journey so far? Hmm. Um, I would say the the number one lesson I've learned about people is that they can surprise you for good or for bad. Um, so I never try to think I have somebody all figured out because I, there's always that element of surprise, like I said, for good or for bad. Um, just like you know, if you've had somebody on your team for three years and you think this person would never delete all my stuff and drive and quit and, you know, burn everything to the ground on their way out the door. Yeah. Well, I've seen it happen (laughs) um, to people. And so I think you just need to always remember that people can surprise you for good or for bad. Or, you know, I've seen examples where I think a team member is checked out and then they reverse themselves. They come to me. We have an open conversation about it. They really step up and take ownership for their mistakes and they turn things around. So I do like to leave room for for those surprises to happen and be prepared, especially when yeah. they happen in the way you don't want them yeah. to. How do you leave room for those surprises? I call it a shit happens buffer. Um, And so I try to leave room for that shit happens buffer in everything I do. Mm. Uh, So whether that is, you know, if you ask me to get something done and say, hey, what day can you get that done by? I will tell you Thursday, even if my scheduled plan is to have it done by Wednesday, to give myself that extra time. Mm. Um, that way, my goal is to get it done by Wednesday, but I've told you Thursday. So worst case scenario, it's done by Thursday. Best case scenario, I get it done on Wednesday as planned and you get it a day early. I tell my team to communicate that way with clients as well, too, is give yourself that buffer because shit always happens. And then as far as like the, you know, setting fire to the business and running away. Um, I try to make sure there's always at least two people that know how to do everything um, and that I'm not necessarily that second person Mm -hmm. so that it's not if someone leaves, I now have to take on their role uh, so that that way, if someone decides to set fire and run out the door, you know, it's not that there's this burning mess left behind and we have to pick up the pieces. It's more of, hey, you know, Bobby Sue, you know, you're going to take on... (laughs) 
Bobby Sue. That mother- Bobby Sue. We said we weren't going to name names. I'm sorry. Yeah. God damn. Sorry, Bobby Sue. I, My bad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just move Bobby Sue into that role. And it's a very short on-ramp time to get that task taken over. Even if they haven't done it in six months, they're at least trained enough on it that they'll be able to pick it up relatively quickly. Um, and then that way you're not sort of out on that task or that role for as long as you would have been if literally no one else knew how to do it. That's awesome. So those are two tactical uh, shit happens buffers. Is there more or like, yeah, this is good. Um, Well, I think too, with when people make mistakes, you have to understand shit happens and leave a buffer for that. There's a limit, right? There's a line where it becomes too much. There's too many mistakes happening and that's a performance conversation. Okay. So you're saying in terms of like when to reprimand or. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, when it needs to be a conversation versus when you can kind of not necessarily let it slide, but you don't have to really make that yeah. big of a deal out of it. Um, you know, again, cause, because shit happens, right? So, you know, the other day, um, one of my admins had put a call on a calendar and they put it for 4 p.m. EST when it was supposed to be 4 p.m. PST. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's within the shit happens buffer to me. Hey, it's an easy little mistake. Don't let it happen again. Yeah. But now if every single call for three weeks is in the wrong time zone, that is past that shit happens mm. buffer. That needs to be a conversation. It allows your team to not feel like they're being micromanaged because you acknowledge the mistake, but you know, hey, yeah, you made a mistake. No big deal. We move on. Um, hey, you've been making this mistake for three weeks. You know. So where do you draw the line between time one and three weeks? That's a good question. Um, I always say if you make a mistake more than three times, it should be a conversation, like Mm. the same mistake. Um, Even if it's a different mistake, but it roots back to a core issue. So if the core issue is that someone's making assumptions, which is often an issue I see with team members uh, that lead them down the path of disparity. Don't start lying now. When when you assume you make an ass of you and me. (laughs) That's Um, right. That is true. And I tell my team that, but... You know, if let's say there's three separate mistakes that happen, but they all come back to that core issue that that team member is continuously assuming things, then I'll you know take them aside in a Zoom chat and say, hey, you know, you've been you've made this mistake, this mistake, this mistake. All of that could we agree comes back to the fact that you're making assumptions and not asking questions. Yeah, get their buy-in. Yeah, I can see why that would be the case. Um, I could have asked a question here about this X, Y, Z, and then coach them through that. So three kind of tends to be the magic number for me mm. when it comes to mistakes like that. Um, Cause you don't want to let it go so far that it becomes a habit either. Yeah. Interesting. I was thinking Canadian baseball, three strikes and you're <laughs> reprimanded. Well, sorry, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tactically then how do you, Cause I know some people watching this are like, yeah, that's cool. But like, how about if I want to like strangle the person? Cause like, it's really frustrating and annoying and it costs us a lot of money. And how do you like, I'll say, keep your shit together. Um, take a, take a step back, take a break. Uh, if I feel myself getting to that point, I just try to 
turn my computer off for like an hour, maybe go call my mom or do something that's, you know, going to neutralize that emotion. And, and she goes, you know, you should have been a doctor. Yeah. And then I go, okay, that was not a good idea. Um, but yeah, I try to neutralize the situation or I'll say, you know, hey, Danny, let's go out for dinner or something mm. tonight instead of eating in um, and try just do something that gets my mind off of it so that I can just take emotion out of it and then circle back to the conversation when I'm not in an emotional state. Um, it's the same thing with relationships too. And I compare a lot of managing your team to how you manage relationships. Yeah. You know, you don't want to talk to a significant other when you're both in that hot headed moment. Cause that's usually when stuff gets said that you don't mean, and you cannot take that kind of stuff back. And that stays in their head forever. It's the same with a team member. So I try to take that step back, let myself process and then go back to the situation where I can explain to them, you know, with a more yeah. in emotional tone. So I know probably a lot of people listening to this are like, yeah, I know that. Like every, every, yeah. everybody knows what yeah. you just said, yeah. right? But when it comes time to do actually it. do it in the moment, just like, ah, but this time's different. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, like, yep. so how do you, how did you get good at separating that? I think having Slack conversations, because my team, we don't do Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. We have no calls. It's all Slack conversation. We're just very communicative throughout the day on Slack all day back and forth. Mm -hmm. I think moving to that has helped a lot as well, too, in comparison to traditional brick and mortar businesses, corporate jobs, et cetera, because now I can write something and look at it before I send it. Yeah. And I think that does help a lot because I'll look at that, especially when I'm in that like emotional <laughs> state and look and say, would I like it if I was her or him and my boss said that to me? Yeah. You know, how would that make me feel? Would I look at that and go, mm, fuck that up? <laughs> <laughs> or would I be like, okay, I get, I see your point. Yeah. Right. Because if I'm just going to say something that then emotionally charges them, it's just going to be a back and forth. So I try to reread what I've written um, before I send it. And if I send something and then I'm like, Ooh, that was a little too much. I delete it. Yeah. Um, and I'll acknowledge it because, you know, people still see that before you delete it and say, hey, look, please disregard what I said. I know I was coming from an emotional mm. place. Um, let me rephrase, you know, before we move forward in this conversation. So I think just that self-control of before you hit send, reread mm -hmm. that message and ask yourself, how would you respond to that if you were in their shoes? And a lot of management is that is putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Yeah. Are there are there any communication frameworks that are like defaults for you in terms of like, I know one of them is like a good, bad, good sandwich yeah. of, or anything like that, that you found more useful than others? I feel that tactic for me just comes off fake because mm -hmm. everyone knows it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're like, oh, okay, you're just trying to sandwich it in. So then it makes the good just feel like it was just there as yeah. filler. Yeah. Right. Um, it's like just lettuce. It's yeah. just there. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily needed. Uh, <laughs> I think. Fucking lettuce. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I would say it's, it is different for each team member. Some team members want that straight up feedback. Um, some need a little bit, not necessarily like a good, bad, good sandwich, but it just needs to be worded differently. It needs to be framed differently. Um, Tell me more about the, because I've been coaching Kayla, uh, my assistant, um, who's phenomenal, doing a great job. She is. Um, through some communications in terms of like, um, just the perception of the other person, how are they receiving it? Yes. And so um, how do you think through those communications then 
in a like because you're saying in a way that makes them receive it well. What is that way? Um, I think when people get into management roles, being a CEO, they kind of forget what it's like to be on the other side. Um, I think that I try to not forget what it was like to be the employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to think from that frame of mind and remember experiences that I had, even if you're going back to like your shitty job at Subway when you were in high school and how your boss there was a complete dick to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your frame of reference. Just remember how that made you feel, how they communicated with you. And it, you know, it's kind of like you look at the way your parents raised you. And sometimes you go, that's the stuff I'm going to do. And sometimes you go, that's not the stuff I'm going to do. It's very similar to that because you remember how you felt when your dad or your mom treated you a certain way for good or for bad, Mm -hmm. right? And so you apply that to your children. So you do the same thing with your team. You got to remember past situations for good or for bad and remember what worked well for you and how you responded better as a team member in those situations or times where you didn't respond better and try to stay away from those types of communications or management styles. Yeah. And it's not just with, with team. I look at like everything is sales. And so like, so it's like with your customers, with your prospects, with your audience, like managing perception, you know, we send chess emojis back and forth in terms of our, our little strategy to make sure that everything is flowing as seamlessly as possible. And I think it's one of those things I like, it's tough to teach. Yes. And so we've had this conversation quite a bit because I'm like, I know you and I are like this. Yeah. Um, we got the telepathy going, but it's so difficult to like, well, how do I think high level strategically to make sure that all of the people and the systems and the things are in place to where everything's flowing seamlessly? I'm like, fuck, I don't know where to start, to yeah. be honest. I'm curious, what is your, what's your best attempt at an answer to that question? Um. I mean, I would say it's almost like a spider web, I guess, like mm-hmm. just start somewhere and branch off from there because, you know, whatever is easiest for you as a starting point and then try to think of every scenario and how that impacts back to your starting goal. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's going to approach it differently and some people are going to miss pieces and others aren't. But that's the only that's the best way, I guess, that I would describe it is you just have to start with your goal in mind and spider web out from that and try to account for all variables. Yeah, I think. That's if I might add, because now my my gears are turning and I'm like, now I'm trying to figure out how to teach this. I'm thinking, well, you definitely need a common goal. Like everybody's got to want the same thing. Yep. Right. And so, but everybody has a unique challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And so one person's unique challenge is like a domino. Yep. And so if that domino goes down, you got to look at all the scenarios of all of the other dominoes, the other people's dominoes that Mm -hmm. that could start knocking over or their own. And like forecast that domino train forward. Um, And it's like, you know, I like think 48 steps ahead. Exactly. Of just like, well, if this happens, then this. And if that happens, then this. And then he'll feel that way. And if he feels that way, then this person's fucked. And if that person's fucked, that whole department's Mm -hmm. gone. And so we better do this instead. Yeah. It's like, is it only experience, do you think, that really leads you to be good at that? Or is it a, is it a. I think it's experience and awareness 
Because you could run a company for 20 years, but just not actually pay attention mm. to that kind of stuff. And you could still be successful, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a good team culture. Mm. Um, and you could just have a revolving door of team members and you could still find a way to, to do that successfully. So it's the experience, but also the awareness through those experiences and actually learning from the good things that have happened in the bad. Because um, some people just are doomed to repeat their mistakes yeah. uh, and they just don't learn from them. And it doesn't matter how much experience they gain, they just continue to make those mistakes. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting too, in terms of like awareness, right? That's mm -hmm. like on being aware of a circumstance. One of the things that when we first started working together, um, I'm of course maniacal in my own way. Um, but I'm like, I, first of all, having worked with the people that I've worked with in the past, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, as you've had challenges, I've had challenges. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I know I have to trust you. Yeah. <laughs> but also not blindly. Like, yeah. And so I'm like, can you like somehow just let me know what you're doing? Like, just I believe you. But if you can like, let me know what you're doing. Um, well, it was a concept that I learned called managing up. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly managing up, down, sideways, and yep. then fucking circles. Yep. It's like making sure that the perception of you is meeting or exceeding everyone else around you's expectations of what the expectations were that were set to start with. Right. Which starts with pre-framing and then actually doing the thing and then reinforcing the fact that you did the thing that it agreed with the pre-frame. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, maybe talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you think through all of that? Um, so in terms of like expectations of like managing expectations of those around you to where there's not the, I know this, you know, thing happens. <laughs> So as far as managing expectations, I think that comes down to clear communication of who's owning what piece of a project, because there's usually many cooks in the kitchen. It's not just one person to get a funnel live. It usually requires, you know, a tech person doing integration. It requires a media buyer. It requires the CEO to record content. It requires an email marketer to write emails. So I like to start with an overarching project plan of, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish from like a bird's eye view. And and this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. This mm -hmm. is what you're doing. So everyone's clear on how their pieces tie into the bigger picture. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of saying, hey, can you get me this by Tuesday? And they don't say what it's for. They're just like, write me some, you know, some nurture sequence emails for like an opt-in funnel. Mm -hmm. But they don't say anything else about why that opt-in funnel is important, what it leads into. They don't give that context to the team. So it's hard for the team to take accountability for their piece in the project and understand if I'm late on this, the integrator can't add them to the, you know, the copywriter's late, then the email sequences can't get added to active campaign, the media buyer can't launch his ads, the sales are going to go down, like they don't understand that. But that's not always their fault. If the, you know, person assigning the task, the project manager or the CEO didn't give them that context. Mm -hmm. So I think giving context and giving why helps people to take ownership of their projects. And then just having it documented creates accountability, so that if they do drop the ball, you can go back and say, hey, Remember when I told you you were responsible for this? It's written right here. Um, why don't you talk to me about what roadblocks you encountered and why that didn't get done on time? 
And what, if anything, I could have done better as a leader mm. to set you up for success? I always ask that question because I never go into a situation assuming I'm not at fault for it, even if it's blatantly obvious that I didn't do anything. Maybe there's something I'm just not seeing. Yeah. So I always ask the team member, what could I have done better as a leader to support you and prevent this from happening? And I see if I get valuable feedback from that that I can then take to become a better leader. So where do you draw the line then from um, I'm taking full accountability and responsibility and like literally doing your job for you and actually allowing somebody to do their job? So I like to kind of approach it like teaching someone to ride a bike. So you're going to have those training, you know, training wheels on and you're holding the handlebars for a little bit. Then you're going to take the training wheels off and still hold the handlebars with them. And then finally let them go, you know, a couple, mm. couple sidewalk pieces down without you touching it at all. And they're going to fall and that's going to happen. And then you're going to pick them back up and, and help them get started again. And that's the process you have to follow with any task with a team member. Um, you have to do the task alongside them let them do it with supervision, let them do it on their own and QA it. And then you can kind of take your hands off the reins, but understand that there's likely going to be a day where they mess something up on it. And you're going to have to go back and give them that feedback because, you know, we're not robots. You know, yeah. aren't perfect, unfortunately. Um, so there will be times where mistakes are made and you have to understand that's going to happen. And then as we talked about knowing that shit happens buffer, you know, is that a shit happens mistake or is that a, okay, we need to have a conversation about it mistake. Yes. So there's like eight follow-up questions I want to ask. Um, let's stick with one before I totally okay. shift gears <laughs> and throw everybody for a loop. Um, in giving context, what are the key, you said why this is important, but like, I'm thinking like people are just, cause I know a lot of people out there are just trying to delegate everything in their business, probably prematurely. Yeah. Um, I'm more default to, knowing how to do everything mm -hmm. and micromanaging, but mm -hmm. that's been successful for me right. uh, because as soon as I trust too much, something goes wrong. Something <laughs> goes horribly wrong. <laughs> um, but I know that um, some people are, are trying to a delegate too early, B delegate the wrong things without having any mm -hmm. clue of anything. Um, I'm curious, like, is there a sequence that you think is the right sequence that uh, specifically a CEO should use to delegate stuff and give proper context as to why? Because I know there's a lot of like there's the thought of like just oh, I'm CEO, I'm just going to hire and delegate that out and you guys figure it out yeah. and whatever. Like worst. why? Why is that the worst? <laughs> That is the worst because your team builds no connection to you. They don't understand the purpose. They don't understand how they fit into the purpose. Mm. They're just thrown a mess and told to deal with it. And then what ends up happening is burnout, overwhelm, likely a lot more mistakes than needed. You think they suck, but really you suck as a manager. Mm. And that's why they fail. Why do you think that thought process is so... I mean, it's super common, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and, and it causes a lot of bullshit in mm -hmm. every way, shape, and form. Yeah. So, why? where does that come from? How do we stop it? <sighs> I wish I knew the, like, solid answer to that. But I think that comes from a place of overwhelm within the CEO themselves or a, a sense of 
feeling like they're playing from behind. Mm. So you'll watch videos of Alex Hermosi or you or Brandon Carter and you're like, wow, they're so successful. I feel so behind. I wish I was that successful. Let me, you know, Mm. run faster than I, you know, before I know how to walk, I'll start trying to run. Um, And they're trying to play this catch up game of where they feel they should be in life or where they want to get to. And they're not allowing themselves to just experience that Mm. entrepreneurial process the way it's meant to be experienced. And because they're rushing that, they're like, oh my God, I'm a CEO, so I shouldn't have to be doing anything. I should just be doing content. Let me hire a team. But I don't know how to manage that team and I don't know what to give them. So I'm just going to give them everything, explain nothing, and then get mad when they don't do it right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a mixture of either they are overwhelmed and they've waited way too long to hire because they're scared to. And then when they do, they just, again, throw it on someone with no context because they're like, I just don't know what to do here. Take this. Yeah. Or they're trying to move too quickly and they're like hiring on, you know, five sales team members when they're only doing 20K a month <laughs> and then wondering why it didn't work out. Yeah. Wait, so when you say so much good here, you, you said the entrepreneurial process, the way it's meant to be experienced. Mm. What is that? So I, um, we live in a society where everything's on fast forward mm. and everybody thinks they can fast forward their success in the business. And yes, some people can build a business. I mean, I did my you know online fitness business. I did 10K in my first month. Unfortunately, though, that isn't the norm for a lot of people. That might be the, you know, the outlier for some, but it's not the average for the average entrepreneur starting their business. Most businesses fail. You know, it's, you know, definitely the lower percentile that are successful for a long period of time. So you're playing against the odds, but people just get into this and think, oh, I can run really quick, be super successful really quickly. Um, and they don't understand that, you know, you got to kind of pay your dues and, and mm. go through that process. And you may not be someone who is an overnight success. And a lot of those people that look like overnight successes weren't either. You're just not seeing that process, the dues that they paid to come up to where they are now. Yeah. Um, and they, like I said, they just try to run before they know. How is to there run. anyone that you've seen that was an actual overnight success without paying their dues? No. Okay. So <laughs> not most people, yeah. all these motherfuckers. All yeah. right. <laughs> so, okay. So basically when you say the entrepreneurial process, Process, the way it's meant to be experienced is basically you pay your dues. And what do you mean by pay your dues specifically? Um, you know, I'm so like we do VA staffing and I'll get on calls with people who think they need a VA and I'll ask them, you know, okay, well, how much are you doing in your business? Oh, you know, like 10K a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't need a VA. Yeah. <laughs> You're just trying to offload stuff way too quickly. Um, you need to be the person in your DMs lead generating. You need to be doing your sales. You need to be making your own content, not hiring someone to do it for you. You need to know those things. So when you delegate those things off, you know how to delegate them. Um, I think lead gen is a really good example of that because we get that a lot in our VA agency. Oh, I need someone for lead gen. Okay, cool. Well, how many calls do you book a month right now? Like two. Yeah. Okay, well, if you're only booking two, how is a VA going to come in and be your saving grace and suddenly book you 40? It's just not going to happen. You know, you need to build the foundation of your business before you're asking people to come in on it with you. And people are trying to bring people in too early instead of just actually grinding and putting that work in themselves. They think the quickest path to success is to just bring other people in to handle it for them. And they don't want to just do the work necessary to get themselves to a place where they actually should be hiring people. Yep. 
replay that <laughs> about eight times, fall asleep to it, eat yeah. your breakfast to it. That's exactly correct. Yeah. The unrealistic expectations of, of the journey is just yeah. astounding. It's crazy. Quite frankly, is astounding. Yeah. And that's where um, I've seen everybody who asks a hiring question, or for the most part, people who ask a hiring question, especially when it's like lead gen sales or marketing, mm -hmm. they're trying to find another fall guy. Yeah for their lack of results in life. Exactly. And be able to have somebody to point a finger and to. It's their fault, yeah. And um, yeah, I think replay that, the all of that. So, okay. So you got to be the example. And when you delegate, you got to give context, but you can't expect people to be perfect because they're not robots. Yeah. So on the robot front, we are in February 2023 as mm -hmm. we sit here today. Yes. And AI is making a storm into mm -hmm. our lives. What are your thoughts as an operations queen that relies on people that do robotic type tasks? Where do you see this going and how do you plan on utilizing this in my business specifically? No. <laughs> <laughs> and how should people who are listening to this be thinking about it? I think it's a fascinating tool that we should be leveraging. Um, with that being said, there, you know, effectively that could replace a lot of positions for people. So if you're, you know, a team member watching this, I think that's your cue to figure out how to be valuable in other ways. So if you're just an administrative VA or a copywriter, like how can you leverage AI to make you better at your job or make your job still necessary? Mm. So figure out ways that allow you to be valuable within the bounds of what's being added to the pot, which is AI. Um, for entrepreneurs themselves, it's okay, how do I leverage that to be more efficient? And I, yes, you can be leaner on payroll and doing that. But at the end of the day, there's still going to need to be, you know, a human there to QA a lot of that process. Um, effectively, that it's, I think it's just going to force the entry level team members to level up. And then it's going to allow business owners to pay their dues a little bit longer and not necessarily feel I don't know how to put this, but they can still pay their dues, but, you know, they can blame it on AI when it doesn't work out. Um, you know, they don't have to hire so quickly because they'll be able to replace a lot of that minutia type task mm -hmm. work with AI. So I'm hoping that that would prevent people from that premature hiring. And I'm also hoping that it would inspire those entry level type team members to find ways to level up within the means of AI. So they're still valuable and they're not completely replaced. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Because I know a lot of people are concerned about that. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. I don't, I've, I have really no idea what's going to happen. I don't know. I still think that even if you're a team member, in a way, you have to think of yourself as an entrepreneur because you're effectively like selling yourself and yeah. in, in why you're valuable to a company, right? So yeah. if, if that's happening, if AI is becoming a thing, you need to adapt. If you lose your job, I'm not saying it's like your fault. But, you know, there's things you could be doing to yeah. make yourself valuable so that your leader, your CEO, whoever doesn't want to let go of you. Yeah. You know, I know that people on my team that do minutia type task work or repetitive stuff that I can replace with AI, they have other strengths that I can leverage, even if they don't see it themselves. And I want to help them learn how to double down on that. So I don't have to let them mm. go. But not everyone has a leader like that. So if you don't have someone that's leading you that has that mindset, who's more concerned about leaning out payroll, then you need to yourself find a way to make yourself still valuable if certain pieces of your role are getting replaced by AI. This is so good. Um, each one of the things that you say, I have like 17 follow-up questions. The 
let me just follow up on the skills, seeing skills in other people that they're unaware of. How do you spot it and how do you know what to do with it? What's worth cultivating and investing in time and resources into? And how do you know that there's like, this person has a shot and that, or this person's just doesn't have a shot in that area? I think that comes down to what we talked about before, just one experience and two awareness mm. um, in doing so much hiring in retail, hiring my team in corporate, and then all the hiring that I do now, I've safely done well over a thousand interviews. Yeah. I think that's conservative. Yeah. So when you interview a thousand people, you learn a thing or two about how they work. And then also too, I manage a lot of people. Mm. So it's not just my team of 25, it's my team plus your team plus Brandon's team, right. et cetera, right? So being around all those people, I have to learn very quickly. Do you have like a file on all of us or how do you, no. how do you, you just kind of know? Yeah. Mm. I just take a mental note and I know that seems very not tactical or integrator like of me to do, but that relationship with people, I try not to make it as tactical or integrated where I'm taking those types of notes. I do want it to feel organic for them. Like we're building that organic relationship. Um, and then just talking with them, seeing how they handle certain tasks, what they fail at, what they excel at yeah. helps me understand where their strengths are so I can better leverage those. And then, like I said, I try not to help them get better with things that they're weaker at. Not because I don't want them to build skill set, because but because if I want to move fast, why would I spend my time doing that rather than just doubling down on what they're good at? Yeah, yeah, you're not going to teach the midget to do windmill jump, windmill ducks. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that leads into you mentioned team culture. Mm -hmm. um, talk about culture and how you think about it. Um, again, it's unique to every team. I think some of the stuff that I do to build culture in my team wouldn't land right in, in your team, mm -hmm. for example. Um, I want people to have relationships and knowledge of each other beyond, hey, that's the guy that writes the emails. Right. You know, I want them to find common interests and have conversations and really feel like, you know, when you were in grade school, in let's say maybe like grade four before things got real and you had like homework all the time. Yeah. Um, you liked going to school because it was your chance to socialize with your friends, right? Yeah. So I try to build that type of environment mm. in work in the workplace so that people actually enjoy going to work, quote unquote, like turning on Slack and talking right. with people and that they feel like it's okay to have those conversations that aren't just work related. So mm -hmm. it's not so transactional. Um, because if they build that friendship, like if, if you, did you move around when you were younger? Um, not when I was a kid, but I've lived in quite okay. a few States since. So when I was in grade five, we moved from the city to the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so upset cause I had built all my friends there. Right. Yeah. And before that, when I was in grade one, my mom moved me to a different school. So at a young age, I moved a lot and it sucked to have to rebuild and restart because I had built roots down and connections. If I can get my team to feel that way about my company, not just about me, but about the other people that they work with too, it helps build longevity and remove that revolving door aspect that a lot of teams have because they're putting down roots. Yeah. And there's something that they feel is like tangible about where they work. And what's something tactical that somebody could do to, if they're, let's say they're working in another company or they're the CEO, like what's the tactical, like, Hey, let's be friends. Like what is that in, yeah. uh, in today's environment? Like what advice would you give to how to do that? Um, so I like to start as the CEO with just simple, um, 
questions in your general Slack channel. You know, everyone, Furry Friday is a good one. You know, everyone posts your pets. That starts conversation. Oh, mm. you have a golden doodle too. Oh yeah, my gosh, yeah. right? So that can help create conversation. Um, what are you guys doing this weekend that's not work related? And just asking those prompt questions and trying to get like get people to spark those conversations so they can find out that they have those common mm. interests. And then I hope that they'll just, you know, have conversations outside of what I'm trying to prompt. So for example, um, if I put up, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And someone says, oh, I'm doing a Netflix binge, right? Oh my gosh, what show? What shows are you watching? Oh, this. Oh my God, I watch it too. Mm. Then maybe, you know, next week when new episodes come out for Too Hot to Handle or something, you know, they'll message each other about those episodes and mm. that'll start to, you know, organically build that friendship. Um, again, I try for it to be as organic as possible. Mm -hmm. And when I do it privately with individual team members and ask them stuff, I try to make it very random and not um, scheduled or scripted. Yeah. I don't want them to feel like I only ask them because I have the end goal of like building culture. Like I actually do want to get to know them. Mm. So how do you, so that side versus like a Navy SEAL team? Yeah. Who is probably not talking about any yeah. of that shit. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot, there's like two separate team philosophies there. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, what are you, what are your thoughts on like the, we're going to build the Navy SEAL team of hard hitting motherfuckers who only hit KPIs and fuck everything else? Um, I think I've yet to find a team that's truly like that where everyone's actually happy. Mm. I think people should be happy where they work because I know what it's like to work at a shitty job you hate every day. And I want people to work somewhere and they feel happy, mm. right? And that they enjoy doing. Um, I could be totally wrong. I'm not saying that there's no team out there that operates that way, that enjoys what they do. But again, I, I haven't seen it. Um, I think there's varying degrees. So I also don't ever want my team to be so far on the woo woo we all love each other netflix okay. binging yeah no <laughs> yeah. one does anything yeah. it's yeah. all good that you didn't yeah. get that done six weeks ago it's still waiting for it mm -hmm. like that's the other extreme yeah. to the like navy seal all we do is hit kpis and have no connection you always want to find the average in anything that you're doing is like the best thing you can do is to find the middle and not be too far to one or the other extreme and that middle ground could look a little different depending on personality types in the team and the dynamic of the ceo and the, and the people that they've hired so you know, I would say like your team, for example, is probably a little bit more to the Navy SEAL side in terms of personality type. Um, the people on my team need a little bit more of that like connection piece, but both perform no. well. Did you do that deliberately with your team or just kind of like um, ended I, up that way? It ended up that way, I feel, and the types of people that um, came in and I ended up hiring and that I feel have... I guess, been attracted to me for my social media and just the way that I've always spoken about team culture and building a workplace mm. that you can truly be happy at. I think that naturally has attracted more people that air to this side versus the, you know, if I came on to podcasts or on social media and said, you know, we're just hitting KPIs, that's all we do. Yeah. I would probably have attracted a different that group makes of sense. people. Um, but again, both groups can be equally successful. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So there's probably a plethora of people that are uh, uh, types of people that are watching the CEOs, salespeople, ops people, people who have a job that want to start a business, people that don't have a job that want to just start making money. Yeah. But you all have to, we all have to deal with human beings yes. to some degree, yep. whether we like it or not. Yeah. So what's your best advice for dealing with people? 
Um, well, I think it's again, awareness and putting mm -hmm. yourself in their shoes. Mm. Um, if you wouldn't like what you're saying, if someone said it to you, don't say it. The golden rule. The golden rule, right? Um, and understand that you can't just use people for your end goal. You have to understand theirs too. Like mm. You can't just take, right? If you just take in a relationship, probably not going to last. There has to be that give and take. And it's not so much like, you know, oh, I have to give them a, a Rolex or a Lamborghini. You know, you don't have to give them physical things. Learn their love language, I think is important. Understand if they prefer words of affirmation versus physical gifts versus quality time um, and, and try to add value to them in other ways. Even if it's, you know, I, my husband and I, we go to the gym all the time. We're really knowledgeable about that from when we used to do coaching, right? So if someone on my team is looking to lose weight or start in the gym, I always offer resources and support workouts that I have from different stuff I've bought over mm -hmm. the years. You know, that's a way I can add value that costs me nothing, but means a lot to my team member. So just looking to add value to your team in other ways and not just trying to take from them and, oh, I just need you to get that copy done for me so I can send this email so we can make money. Like what can you do for them too? Totally totally with you what is the that's easier said than done right yeah the, the majority of people know that but they don't execute on it what do you think is the biggest reason that is the case why do they not execute on it i think people have main character syndrome so they really only see the world through the lens of of their them as the main mm. character and they forget that there's all these other lives happening outside of you building your business. And they also forget that they just get so invested in tunnel vision on their business and all of that. And they think that every other team member either is or should have that same tunnel vision. Yeah. And they will to a degree, like, yes, they want you to be successful because if your business burns down tomorrow, so does their job and income. But again, like there's other lives happening outside of that and they forget that and they just go tunnel vision and they just go, I need this email. And, yeah. you know, now what I about the guy? Idea. What about the person who's not the CEO? Even mm -hmm. the people, the person who with their spouse are trying to get a job or just working with their coworkers in the grocery store. Yeah. Um, it's the same. Same thing. Though. It's the same thing. Main character syndrome. Okay. Um, they forget they have their blinders on the only world that exists is theirs. Yeah. And that's our natural and like, that's just a natural tendency for people. I do it too sometimes. Um, and, you know, I have to remind myself like, Hey, there's other main characters, you know, like there's yeah. other people living their lives and I need to understand that and be empathetic to that and put myself in their shoes at times and not always make it about me. Yeah. Even if it's done in an unselfish way, because we just automatically have that tunnel vision, you need to have that reality check for yourself and remember, you know, it's, it's not yeah. just the, the Amber show. Yeah. 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 What, um, in all the people that you've experienced and dealt with, is there a story that sticks out to you of like, Oh my God, this happened and I couldn't believe it or some sort of a, <laughs> um, in terms of like however a, you were just some some entertaining ridiculous holy shit this person story or this situation that involved people um entertaining or maybe big mistake yeah uh okay so big mistake i would say um there was a team member once and so the way that we used to compensate our copywriters was a per word 
compensation. So they're paid per word that they wrote, not per hour or a retainer. Mm. Um, the goal there was to incentivize them to, you know, write quality stuff and do it as quickly as possible because it didn't matter how long it took them. It just mattered, you know, that the job was done. Um, that team member missed a decimal point in the per word pay uh, and moved it over the wrong way. So effectively 10xing the compensation of the team member. Whoops. Um, and it wasn't caught for like two months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and that was at a time where, and that's, you know, where I've learned things like make sure things are QA'd and have someone else that's double checking and don't let one person own a process from start to finish. There should be at least one other person in there doing something. So mm-hmm. that it's a second set of eyes. Um, but yeah, that person did that. And that, and uh, then, you know, that's obviously a very awkward conversation to have to have with yeah. a team member. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're being paid 10x what you're supposed to. Um <laughs> But only 10x though. But only 10x. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the situation got worked out. It was a learning situation for me uh, as a leader mm-hmm. and putting different processes in place to make sure things like that get caught in the future. Um, it was a learning experience for the team member that was being paid 10x. I let them keep that. I didn't like it's not their fault, right? Because um, their explanation was I would have never taken the job if I knew it was. 10x left, yeah. right? Maybe they would have, who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're not going to say, yeah, you know, just demote me by 10x. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that pay downgrade. Um, but she came back to me after and said, you know, this was probably the most professional way someone's ever handled a situation like that. I've mm. worked in so many different companies as a freelance copywriter, and um, you are definitely by far one of the best leaders that I've interacted with, just the way that you handle things. Um, you were very fair in your solution, um, you know, and you didn't come at me like, oh, we're just going to take this away from you. Um, you owned where the mistake was on your side. And I just really appreciate how you approached the conversation with me. So I think it was a learning situation for her that, hey, there are good leaders out there that mm. can handle things like that with grace. Um, for the other person who made the mistake, I would have hoped it would be a learning situation for them. Unfortunately, it did start a downward spiral for that team member. Um, Shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mainly because they were resistant to taking accountability for that mistake. Mm. And they just found every reason why it wasn't their fault rather than owning that they had made the mistake. Um, and for that reason, that created resentment, obviously, because they felt like it wasn't their fault. Um, and they were removed off that task. They didn't like that. They started faltering in other areas and ultimately didn't last on the team. Um, so I would say that's kind of one that always sticks out to me because I feel like there were so many learning opportunities mm-hmm. there for everybody involved. Even me as a leader, because I look back and say, hey, maybe there were ways I could have approached the conversation with that team member differently. Um so I think that, that that situation had a lot of moving pieces to it and a lot of learning opportunities for people. Yeah, there's so many. I wish we had like three hours right now because there's so many segues that are just like definitely filled with a whole bunch of genius people stuff in, yeah. your, in your universe based on your experience. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of just the general the general people atmosphere of being a human on this planet. What's the number one question that people should ask themselves if they want to be successful? What am I good at? 
Mm. I think people, and we've talked about this, people have entrepreneur syndrome. They're like, I'm good at being an entrepreneur. No, you're not. <laughs> like being an entrepreneur means that you know how to lead people. You can, you know, plan 50 steps ahead. You understand like putting yourself in everybody's shoes. You can handle lead gen and sales for yourself and marketing, at least at the start. There's a lot of moving pieces in being an entrepreneur. Not everyone's cut out to be that, but that's okay. And I think we also live in a society right now, especially in like the internet marketing world, where everyone's told that being successful means having your own business. But mm -hmm. you can very well be a very successful salesperson on someone else's team or a very successful, you know, media buyer for someone else's company. You don't have to necessarily have your own business. I mean, effectively, a lot of people could look at what I offer as a service and say, well, you're really just a, an employee in, in three mm -hmm. businesses. Um, you know, and you could look at it that way. I don't care. I don't care if I'm seen as an agency owner or someone with three jobs. I just care that I'm successful and I'm happy and right. I'm good at what I do. So figure out what you're actually good at and then figure out how to use that to make money. Even if that means being in someone else's business, not having your own, you can still have freedom and you can still be successful doing it that way rather than saying, I'm just an entrepreneur, regardless yeah. of whether you have that skill set or not. Well, it's funny because I think we, uh, it's, and it's understandable why the confusion happens with people yeah. is because we all are technically entrepreneurs, yeah. right? Like whether you got a job bagging groceries is you had to go market yourself. Exactly. It's just an easier sale. Yep. You just have to like show up yep. and like be able to bag groceries. Yep. But it's still like you have to demonstrate a skill and mm -hmm. sell the skill set. You have to like talk the marketing, right? Yep. You have to advertise like I want the job, yep. you know. So it, you have to have those skill sets to some degree. Yep. And now you just like are an expert in bagging groceries with one client. Yeah. Right. And so um, it's understandable that that bleeds into like the awareness line just starts to get blurred enormously because yeah. even if you're in a, a sales position in somebody else's company, you're still the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It's just you're representing one client exactly. in a particular capacity. Yeah. So um, how do you navigate that and like manage that in terms of like, what am I good at and what do I have to be good at versus mm -hmm. what do I have to double down? Like everybody has to double like operations. It's who's going to do the laundry today. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. what's our schedule of making sure that the refrigerator stocked with food and yeah. like who's doing that and when? And so how do you like, where do you know how to draw the line between I'm aware enough to know that is a, that this is my main skill set mm -hmm. versus like while knowing that in the rest of my life, like you still have to have all the entrepreneurial skill sets. Yeah. I think learning what you're great at, again, is something you learn over time, but also you have to pay attention to not only what am I good at, but what do I enjoy doing? Mm. Um, Cause I, I can be good at sales, but I don't enjoy sales. Mm. Right. So yes. And I mean, obviously I'm decent enough at sales. I've been able to build my agency and sell a bunch of clients, but the typical sales call strategy, all of that, like I can coach on it. I don't like doing it. It's yeah. not something that I personally enjoy and that's okay. Um, but I'm really good at operations and I actually enjoy doing that even more deeper than that. I enjoy managing people mm. and I know that that's what I like to do. God bless people like you. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know? <laughs> so I just, I know that that's what I enjoy. So I double down on specifically that skill set, and I still 
try to, you know, improve my skill sets in other areas. Cause like you said, that is still important, but it's just not my main focus. Mm. And I think even if you look at the way my business has been structured, it, it kind of reflects that because I don't run ads. I don't have a huge presence on social media, specifically around operations. I mean, my page is, you know, fairly big, but it's more lifestyle based because I enjoy posting about my life versus posting about what I'm doing operationally. Um, Most of my clients are from referrals. I don't do a lot of lead generation and that's because those skill sets aren't ones I personally invest a lot of my time into. Mm -hmm. I could still do it if I needed to, but I focus more on the operations. And again, I think it reflects just the way I've grown my business as well too. That is accurate. Um, when, so we all, your favorite thing to do is managing people. And I know that probably a lot of people watching this or listening to this, their least favorite thing to do is managing people, whether it's in their personal life or their professional life. We all have to manage people, our spouses, Mm -hmm. the, the guy bagging groceries at the grocery store. I got to manage him if he drops my cantaloupe, you know what I mean? If I went with eggs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or if I actually, I haven't been to a grocery store in years, but um, I'm, what would, what advice would you give to somebody who dislikes managing people and even though they need to, like they got to enjoy it. How, how do, what advice do you give these people? Myself probably included. I think when you put yourself around people you actually like, it makes the management of those people far easier. Mm. Um, obviously, if it's not your strongest skill set and not the main thing you want to focus on, just like I don't want to focus on sales or lead generation, you know, you still have to hone that skill, but it's a lot easier you know, for me, it's a lot easier when it's a referral for me to do a sales call because I know that's someone I'd likely enjoy working with. Um, It's a lot easier for you to manage your team if you're filling your team with people who are of the similar mindset to you um, and match the culture of your team. If you, um, so for example, we used to make everyone take the Harry Potter sorting hat quiz when they were coming in to get hired. Um, Because at first it was just fun. It was just to add something light and fun to the end of the hiring process. Um, but what I started to notice was, I'm sorry, but anyone who's a Hufflepuff, um, they don't work well on my team. I don't know why. Uh, I tr- I truly believe it's a good personality test, but people who <laughs> tested and got Hufflepuff as their sorting hat result never did really well on the team. So knowing that I now, you know, at that time would say, okay, cool. That to me is an indicator that they might not do well on the team. It's not a be all end all. Um, but that helped me to put more people in the team that aligned better with my personality type and existing personalities on the team, which makes managing those people easier because you're not getting as much of that clash. Um, and it's the same for people who don't enjoy that process is try to bring people into your universe that you know you actually enjoy and, and it makes that process easier because ultimately you do get to choose a lot of the people that you're around. Some you don't, you know. But you do get to choose a lot yeah. of the people that you bring into your life. So the people that maybe have uh, have a job or have employees or are employed by somebody else that, or maybe they're in a relationship or a friends group that like they don't want to leave the people that they are around or they're afraid to say no to the people that they don't like mm-hmm. to maybe create an opportunity to be around people that they do like. Mm-hmm. What do you say to these people to maybe help them give get the courage to leave the situation that they're in with a bunch of people that they don't like people are notorious for sticking around too long especially in like relationships i see that a lot where you know there's always that one couple where everyone's like 
<laughs> you know, why are you guys still together? You're not bad people. You're just bad for each other. Yeah. Right. But they're too scared to leave because they're comfortable. Um, unfortunately, it's just about kind of like buck up and mm. grow a pair and make it happen. I always say too, like you have one life to live. Time is the only thing that we cannot refund, exchange, return, whatever. Like no matter how much you want to be a Karen, God's not going to be like, here's, you know, three more days back in your life. You know, it's not a thing. So just remember that. And I, I don't try to live every day like this could be my last day on yeah. earth. But I also understand that I want to be very choosy with how I spend that time because I'm not going to get it back. So when you think from that perspective, like, do I really want to go down the path of this toxic relationship for the rest of my life? Like, you know, the answer is no. Just be real with yourself. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you leave? It's probably not as bad as the worst case scenario if you stay mm. and, you know, make that decision. Same with friends groups. You have to do what's best for you um, and understand that, you know, you can only spend your time in, in a finite way. So do it in ways that you enjoy and with people you actually want to be around. That's fantastic advice. What uh, what questions should I have asked that I didn't ask? I don't know. You asked really good questions. All oh, right. Yeah. It's about time. <laughs> Nothing? Um, maybe what do you do when you're the one that fucks up, not the team member, the person in the relationship? Like, how All do right, you what do you do? Um, sometimes I'm stubborn, and I know we No. <laughs> Just what? Um, and I try to make a conscious effort to be better with that every day because I know that's just my personality type, uh, especially more so. I feel like more so in personal relationships than in work. Mm. And, you know, my husband, so I just would bring agree. it out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I try to, again, put myself in the other person's shoes. And especially in a leadership role, I ne I'm never too, you know, above saying I messed up or I'm sorry. Mm. I think your team would be surprised to hear you say that and own when you make a mistake um, and just be honest with them. Like, hey, I messed up. I, you know, was emotional at that conversation that we had the other day. And I understand why that made you do this. And then they're going to they're going to look at that one and say, wow, that was really big of them as the leader to come in and say that they're sorry. And two, like, yeah, that is why I did that. You know, okay, at least they understand where I'm coming from. And that's going to help to build a better relationship with your team. The worst thing that you can do is be like, oh, it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're going to do that every time your team does it. Yeah. You know, you have to pick and choose. You know, you don't have to come and say sorry every single time, like the shit happens, buffer. But when you know you made a big mistake or where you dropped the ball, you really need to own that with your team and make sure that they understand that you know you fucked up yeah. and you understand how you can do better in the future. And that's also going to train your team to reciprocate that behavior back to you and to take more ownership as well. And it applies to relationships as well too. And again, it's easy in practice. I can say this all day, but am I perfect at it? No. Um, but I'm just, I work towards that every day. And I try to keep that in mind whenever there's an instance where I'm like, Ooh, yeah, that was, that was my bad. Um, and circle back to that and say, Hey, and own that mistake. Um, I think a lot of people would rather it's easier to just forget it happened and yeah. just try to not talk about it, but you're better off for it in work and relationships and whatever. You can just not be too proud to say sorry. Yeah. I like it. That's great advice. Great advice. This has been, uh, a thing that 
I think everybody needs to go back and re-listen to like eight times and actually take notes. And next time something comes up, refer back to the Amber Morningstar cheat sheet of yeah. how to handle people without ruining yours or their life. Exactly. Um, so where can people uh, learn more about you, follow you? Where do you want to point people, if anywhere? Um, I would say main source would just be Instagram. That's dropset.gorgeous. Um, that's where I mainly hang out. I don't really have, I have a TikTok, but not really. Um, and that would be kind of where you can mainly find me. And I always tell people, you know, if you have questions about how to best handle your team or, I mean, in a general sense, like applying the principles we talked about today, it's relationships, like just shoot me a DM. I'm, my DMs are always open for reasonable questions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. And she sources and trains and places VAs. Yes. Yes, I do. So where where where's that um that would be avengeradmins.com huge marvel nerd um so yeah if you're interested in hiring and i'll tell you straight up if you're trying to do it too early but if you're interested in hiring and your business is actually at a place where it makes sense happy to take you on as a client and that would be where you can learn more information about that beautiful all that will be in the description of this video and uh amber thank you so much for bestowing your people wisdom upon the fine people no problem it was a good time yeah absolutely love it <laughs> appreciate you appreciate you too hey i hope you enjoyed the show thanks for making it to the end and i hope you got something out of it the good news is I've got another one that you're going to like and the link is right here. All you have to do is click it and it'll start playing. So go ahead and click that now and I'll see you in the next one.